said we didn't see a thing. We said we didn't see a thing. And father left at eight, nearly splintering the gate. Cold-blooded old times. Cold-blooded old times. Cold-blooded old times. Cold-blooded old times The type of memories that turn your bones to glass Turn your bones to glass And though you were Just a little squirrel You understood every word And in this way They gave you clarity A cold-blooded clarity Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times How can I stand and laugh with the man who redefined your body? How can I stand and laugh with the man who redefined your body? Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Inkstud Show, the radio show about comics. I realize it's been a while since I've done an interview on here. Um, I feel kind of bad. Really bad. I think it's been four weeks. It was actually my guest today, Kevin Cannon, uh, was supposed to be on four weeks ago, but I had this big, massive cluster fudge of uh, 
just a lot of stuff going wrong at once, so I had to postpone the interview. Um, but he's here with me today. Thank you for coming, Kevin. Absolutely. Great to be back. Excellent. You're not um, really back, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Kata. Yeah, how'd your uh, funding drive go, by the way? It went pretty good. It went pretty yeah. good. I think uh, folks liked the first week with the more poppy music more than the second week, which was the more um, hard side, I guess. Edgier? Okay. Yeah, it was pretty noisy. Um, <laughs> it was... Uh, but no, the funding drive went really well. We, uh, I think we passed our goal, which was 24000 I think we got ended up getting um, all told... I think it was like... Twenty-six thousand or something, like something crazy good. Nice. So, a couple of new mics for you, then, huh? Yep. Nice. There we go. Yeah. No, it's uh, we uh, there's some plans to uh, I think renovate one of our studios, so I'll be able to do more pre-recorded interviews uh, with more ease. And turns out today we're getting our uh, software system upgraded, so it's a good day at the station. Good deal. It's a good day here. So, I guess to introduce you, I've been I've been thinking about your book. Uh, Far Arden, and I was trying to think the best way to describe it, um, and and I think, in my mind, it's Canada exploitation. Ah, okay, I that's like that. um, <laughs> that's a, that, that's a, it's like it's like something. There's just something, and it's like it's making fun of us Canadianisms. We're not even not making fun, but yeah, it's an I mean, adventure. It's like I'm, I'm not making fun. Of, well, I, I guess I I am. You do sometimes. Fun in a fun, but in the most lighthearted way. It's because I, I love you guys so much. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm just trying to like throw in any reference to, I guess, anything Canadian that I can. Was it the Royal Canadian Arctic Navy? That yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep. Um, we love our royal things. I don't know what it is. We have the Mounted Police. They have right. horses. But actually, in Vancouver, we don't have the RCMP. We have just Vancouver Police, so it's not as exciting. But oh, I think so, I think some of them have horses, so maybe it is. Well, probably good. in Stanley Park, maybe right. Very good. Thank you. You you, you you've researched Vancouver. <laughs> no, I've been there. Uh, I've been there twice as a kid. My mom traveled there on business. Oh, really? It was great, because she would go to these meetings all day, and then she just dropped me off in uh, Stanley Park, and I'd be rent a bike and just kind of spend the whole day there. Okay. Stanley Park's also a known cruising area, so you might want to be careful next time. I know. I didn't know that. Now, yeah. <laughs> that was a while ago. It's like, Mom, what did you want from me? Right. So mean. Um, so Far Arden's your latest book, but it's uh, by far not your first book. Yeah, it's my first solo graphic novel, the first time I've ventured out alone. I, uh, my, my day job is actually doing... Like science-related historical nonfiction graphic novels, I uh, I run a, a studio with Xander Cannon, who I think a lot of your listeners might know from The Replacement God, and he actually wrote um, the, pre- the this past season of Top Ten, um, originally created by Alan Moore. And anyway, so oh, go ahead. And illustrated uh, Smacks and inked yep. Top Ten. Exactly. Yeah, he's got a good long resume. But there's no relation between the two of you. No, there's no. Yeah, we have the same last name, but no. no That's really. crazy. Well, we actually. I don't. I don't know if you knew this. We went to the same college too, seven years apart. Um, <laughs> it's a tiny little college in Iowa called Grinnell. And when I went there as a freshman, people, I started. You know, the first few weeks or whatever, um, started drawing cartoons for the school paper, and a lot of the seniors there said, "Hey, you, 
you must be Xander Cannon, or, or you must be Xander Cannon's brother, or they just assumed it. And I was like, I, I don't know who this guy is. Who are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, it was interesting. So I went in the library basement in the archives and read all of his cartoons that he had done in the school paper. Were they any good? Uh, they were fantastic, yeah. <laughs> fantastic, yeah. No, it's actually, I really like uh, Xander's work. I think he's a pretty talented cartoonist. So. He is. I'll tell him he said that. Good. Make sure. <laughs> don't don't say I said anything bad. It'll just make things awkward. Okay, I won't. Okay. So, tell me about your first getting into comics. What was your interest that sucked you in? That's a good question. Uh, I was one of those kids that read... I didn't really read comic books as a kid, but I read the, the daily newspaper comic strips every day for as long as I could remember. So it was Calvin and Hobbes, which was huge. Uh, I liked Garfield. I don't know why I like Garfield. I I hate it now, but I loved it back then. Um, Far Side was a huge influence. We all loved Garfield back then. It's okay. <laughs> I've I've come to this realization that everyone detests it, but somewhere in there, there's that nugget of love that it still holds. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe the '80s were like the golden age of Garfield or something. <laughs> <laughs> something to research, I guess. But. Yeah, so uh, so that was my foundation. I, I learned how to draw by you know, but like sitting down at the kitchen table and copying the characters, and you know, it, it's great seeing all those styles on one page because you see how different artists uh, draw noses and how different artists tackle you know ears and and even things like word balloons and lettering and stuff. So that was cool to see that. Um, and I guess oh, I read Ninja Turtles. I read that comic book a lot. So you knew early on you wanted to be a cartoonist. I knew I knew I wanted to be an artist and go into that field, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to do with it. Because in high school, a lot I I was more of a commercial artist, you know. In quotes, I did uh, like t-shirt, like sports t-shirts and um, drama posters and things like that. But never, like I never sat down and drew mini comics or anything like that. I didn't even know mini comics were a thing back then. Um, that that sort of came during college when I ran into. Um, well, there's a like a half-price bookstore down the street, and they started selling comics, old comics, and they had an alternative section. And so I got like um, Eight Ball, and uh, they had the whole series of Hate there. The Essentials. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and those blew my mind because I, I had no idea that that kind of stuff existed. I guess in my head, comics were. Well, I guess I read Mad Magazine, but I guess I didn't really know indie comics that existed. So that that was really eye-opening for me. And, uh, yeah, and then, so I, I did a, like I said, a cartoon for the school paper, just for fun. I, even at that point, I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do professionally. And that's Johnny Cavalier? Yeah, Johnny Cavalier, and that was sort of a, just a guy, it, it, I guess it was my way of, of making fun of the college, or making fun of, you know, just kind of exploring issues in the college in a fun way. I had a, it was sort of a Sunday, Sunday-length strip, it was kind of a long one, so I could really, you know, tell a story in that space if I wanted to. Now, what were you taking in college? Was it art mainly, or...? Yeah, I was a studio art major, so a lot of painting, a lot of... A um, little bit of, I guess, not much sculpture. I learned to weld. Not very well, though. <laughs> I welded my first day in welding. Like, I, to, to, um, to weld stuff, you, you grip, you use this grip to um, hold the pieces together, and mm -hmm. I actually welded... I didn't seal the two pieces of metal together. I sealed my clamp to the piece of metal. And uh, that was that was pretty embarrassing, so I stayed away from that. Um, but yeah, I did printmaking and all kinds of stuff. The comics all happened outside of class. Mm -hmm. 
you know, just working with the newspaper staff and, and that kind of stuff. Um, did any of the uh, mediums you're taking kind of spill over, though, and kind of inform you in doing comics? Yeah, I, yeah, there's no way they couldn't. I mean, you know, you learn about just, you know, the, I don't know, picture, you know, composition, um, balance, color, structure, color theory. You don't do a lot of color, though. I, uh, I do, I guess, yeah, I don't do it so much anymore. <laughs> Sometimes on the website I'll throw a picture up and there'll be some color and stuff, and, and I used to, yeah, you caught me, I don't do a lot of color. <laughs> but you learn about, I mean, you learn about, you know, tonal values and, yeah. and, and, and you know, balancing whites and blacks and things like that. So Johnny Cavalier was your first kind of foray into comics, and uh, it's uh, di- it's pretty different from the rest of your work. I feel like, yeah, um, it's is it kind of like exercising like that kind of growing up reading comic strips, and then you kind of you've done it, and you kind of feel done with it, or I don't know. It's at the time I really felt like it was a vehicle for me to just experiment with with anything and everything. So, I mean, there's, you know, I experiment with, you know, how to, how to write a good punchline. And then there are other comics where I try to, try to just, I don't know, break the, break down what it means to be comics and have no punchline or no plot or anything. I don't know. So it was four years of experimenting. And part of that is part of that part. What helped that was that I didn't really get a lot of responses from the people in the college, I guess in the sense that I didn't really think anybody outside of my small band of friends were actually reading the thing so i could really just you know let go and experiment Um, a little bit in a vacuum yeah very much so very much so and i i think i was putting them online back then but you know nobody was nobody was reading that it was a geocity site (laughs) yeah exactly uh, (laughs) yeah i was in one of the geocities neighborhoods uh paris i think i don't know (laughs) oh god those are the days oh the 90s yeah, yeah. So, so that was good. And since then, I mean, obviously with Fard, and I, um, that was more of an, of an experiment of how do I keep a consistent, you know, story basically through 350 pages or whatever. And, more than uh, 350 things, massive. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I think reaching 400. It was originally supposed to be like 288. The idea was I was going to do um, one 24 page chapter per month for 12 months like that was the sort of the assignment in my head and uh yeah it just kind of blew out of proportion from there well why don't we do a quick music break and then when we get back we'll jump into the far arden and the kind of the influences going into it and uh the the trials and tribulations of your social experiment is that a good way of putting it yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back i'm talking to kevin cannon inkstuds citr 101.9 Don't want this heart, don't want this place Got being slow as the beats out of pace West side of apartment, girls lonely and dark West side of apartment, it's too more hearts I see your keys hanging in the same place They haven't moved for a month or even a day This society was fun, we should do it again Give ourselves some time, ten years in the day I need you now, I need you then I never wanna feel this again Separate the room with painful divides Until there's nothing left to remind 
CITR 101.9 FM, that was Rural Alberta Advantage. It was very nice to pick some Canadian content. Not many people do that. Thank you. I enjoyed that. That was, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is uh, jumping so far into a radio show and school and everything else. I don't actually get a chance to listen to much of the music, so... It's always yeah, good it's to weird. Hear. It's when you're behind the scenes watching the sausage get made. You don't really uh, get to enjoy it. So. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you hear me? No. <laughs> I think I would still eat sausages. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, yep. uh, I, I have uh, unfortunate uh, strong carnivorous uh, tendencies. No, that's good. It's healthy. A, it's, uh, it's an important life to live. So uh, when did you first try doing uh, 24-hour comics? I think I started in 2005, 2004, maybe. I mean, it was a while ago. It was um, it was actually fun. There was a group of us in uh, Minneapolis, and we all sort of wanted to get together and, and do this. I, I don't remember the history of it, if Scott McCloud sort of announced that it was going to be a worldwide thing in 2004. He made the, the royal proclamation, it almost seems like. I think that, yeah, that's probably what it was. And uh, so, yeah, we got together, and... Boy, I mean, nobody really knew what to expect at that point, because I don't think anybody had spent 24 hours straight drawing. But it was fun during the middle of it. There were there were people, like, sleeping under the tables and people dropping out, and it was, I don't know, it was kind of like, it was very warlike. It's the closest to, you know, war that I'll get. <laughs> Being on the front lines and just persevering, you know, one page at a time. So, but, yeah, and so the, the first few years, um, it was kind of a, a challenge, and it was... I, I don't know, it was, obviously it was a challenge. And I wasn't too thrilled with the, the art style that I was putting out, because obviously you're rushing, um, you know, for so long. But I, after a couple of years, I I think I got my, I made my page size a little bit smaller, and my expect, I lowered my expectations a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, from then on, it was, uh, it's been pretty fun. What do you uh, have as a recommend for folks, a recommendation for folks that are thinking of attempting the 24-hour routine man i've got a i wrote up a whole list of recommendations a couple years ago um i let me think i mean yeah one one is definitely like limit your page size limit your limit your output um 
can, you know, practice at home and just see what, what feels good, uh, you know, what, what's, a, what's a good amount that you can put out in an hour. I mean, there were people who had huge, huge boards that they were painting, and, um, you know, and it, they ended up looking beautiful, but they probably only got about, you know, seven or eight mm-hmm. polished finished pages uh, done. Uh, what else? Xander's got a great trick where, you know, part of the part of the process is going in with you know a completely blank slate. You're not supposed to have any uh, you know preconceived notions or ideas. Um, and so what he does is he takes a Pictionary card and at the beginning of the the thing he draws it and he you know there are like seven different words on there yeah. you know like balloon and and whatever and he'll use those. So that's that's kind of a fun idea if you're if you're stuck because I remember going into it I always had had ideas, you know, a couple days leading up to the event, you know, like, oh, that'd be a great idea to do that. That'd be a great idea to do. And I'm trying to like shut them out. <laughs> Brain, stop it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how, how do you, how do you not think about the thing you're going to be spending all weekend doing? So yeah. And then, uh, walk, exercise, walk around every couple hours, like run around the block. That's, that's, I'll leave you that. That's my last recommendation. That, that helps a lot. Oh yeah. Get your oh, blood man. flowing. God, shake your arms out. Yeah. So, how many had you done before uh, vo- voyaging into Far Arden? I think three or four. Yeah, let's say let's say three. Now, and the concept of Far Arden. Might you let folks know how? I guess the book how how it came together. It's it's unique birthing process. Um, <laughs> good a good friend of mine named Steve Stwally, who's sort of the I don't know. He's sort of the head honcho in the underground cartooning scene in Minneapolis. He sort of organizes a lot of events and uh, a lot of art shows and things. But anyway, he, at the end of one of the years, uh, 24-hour comics day, he said, you know, Kevin, you should, you should try to do one of these things every single month uh, for an entire year. And I don't know, for some reason I said yes and, uh, and thought that I would be spending the next 12 months like doing, it, doing a 24-hour comic marathon every you know, every four weeks. As it turned out, I I only got about through about four months of doing that before I woke up after the fourth one and like my arm was numb for two days, and it was just and I don't know I it that was sort of scared me and I was like ah uh, you know this isn't worth it it's not you know whatever this this fun project is it's not worth like losing my body over it so I ended up finishing the book uh, finishing 24 pages a month but not at the you know at the manic uh uh 20 uh, you know everything in 24 hours pace how did that you feel that kind of i guess it probably worked better for the artwork not doing as much well i I still tried to keep to a one page per hour pace i think it it ended up getting you know i ended up spending maybe an hour and a half to two hours on each page as it got to the end of the book but yeah i think you can you can see that the art um the art tightened up a little bit I mean, the first few chapters of Hard, and you can you can tell they're pretty rough, and the storytelling is pretty rough too. Um, another thing I did toward the end of the book is I started scripting more and started plotting more, because I had all these loose ends that I'd created in the front um, that you know obviously needed to be all sewn up by the end. So it was it just got generally tighter. I guess. So at first, there was really no story concept. It was. Very it loose. Sort of. There was a, there was a skeleton um, in my head. I wrote uh, like the the Army Shanks character, who's the he's the sort of the curmudgeonly old ex Navy sailor, um, who's the 
the hero of the book, he is a character I made up in 2000 um, when I was I was studying in London for a couple for for a semester, and he's sort of based on the Ernest Shackleton um, archetype, sort of this you know rough and tumble you know Irishy explorer. And uh, anyway, so I had him, and in my head, I had created this short story about a guy, um, you know, fo- basically following, you know, his dream to find this legendary um, tropical island that's supposedly hidden somewhere in the Arctic. Um, I had never fleshed it out, never written a script or anything for the short story, but when I started, when I got Steve Dare to do this 24-hour uh, comic uh, book, I thought, well, you know, I'll use that, because I, I kind of like that, and there's a lot of room to explore. So that first chapter... I knew where things were headed, and I knew who Shanks was, um, and everything else I kind of made up on the spot as I went. And then after I finished that uh, that first chapter and got some sleep, I sort of sat down and, and looked at what I'd done and thought, okay, you know, where is this going? What, you know, uh, who do these, you know, what motives do these characters have? And I kind of went on from there. Now, I'm... Curious, uh, some of the influences you're drawing in, because it feels a little different than uh, some of your other stuff, looking at the other mini-comics. I feel like you're, uh, I think, having some more fun, maybe? I don't know. I feel I feel like Pete Bag is sort of the godfather of this book. Because, I mean, if you look at the sort of the rubbery limbs and the and the, the expressions on some of the faces and the, the sound effects, I think a lot of that was sort of born out of my days of reading, you know, of reading hate and really liking just his his expressiveness because I'm not really good at drawing people, you know, in any sort of <laughs> anatomical way. And so, look, I mean, looking at, at Pete Bag's work, he, he really gave me an excuse to just kind of be cartoony with it um, while still being able to tell uh, a story, you know, with, with some, you know, underlying pathos. So I was, I was, yeah, I definitely looked at him. Do you have any uh, particular interest in the Canadian North? I do. I would... Love to uh, visit there. Actually, I have a friend right now who's in Rankin Inlet on business, and she's telling me all these great stories about, um, you know, about the town that she's in and the people that she's meeting. But she told me like the the flight in, I think from from Nova Scotia or somewhere was something like twenty nine hundred dollars you know, for, for a ticket. So uh, I don't think I'll be visiting there anytime soon. But no, would, uh, a cartoonist budget uh, does not yeah. allow. Uh, maybe you could do some kind of uh, research trip into. I don't know. Something about the Canadian North is more exciting than Alaska, too. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, it's, it's more. Yeah, it's just it's just rugged, or I, I don't know. There's something. We don't have Sarah Palin. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> it. She's ruined Alaska. She really has. I gotta say, it's uh, you know, you think of Alaska no longer. Do you think of like Northern Exposure or something like that? You think of you know going rogue. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks. So, <laughs> thanks, Sarah. You've really thanks, ruined Sarah. it for all of us. Yep. Not just the country, the state. The state. The state. Now, is this an experiment you'd want to attempt again, or is this a kind of you've That's done it? it. No, it's a one. It's a one-time thing. I uh, even this past year, I I skipped twenty-four hour comic day just because I, I I I think I may be retired from that. <laughs> it's it's it literally just physically it's taken a lot out of me, and uh, I don't know I. I don't know. I definitely want to keep writing, um, you know, graphic novels. I love, at the end of the day, having a huge, fat graphic novel. Um, but I, I think I need to do more scripting on the front end and and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's 
the Farden birthing process. That's a one-time deal. So do you feel that, like, the process of, um, that creative process that the 24-hour jump starts, that works to a point, but really, as far as, like, getting deeper, it's disadvantage, possibly? You know, I think it was great because when I started the book, um, I only thought that myself and Steve and Xander and a couple of friends would be reading it. And that's how it felt for the first few chapters because I'd put it online and, you know, on the blog and get a few comments. Um, if I had known that it was eventually going to be like a published book, I would probably have gotten too nervous and too hung up on details and, and you know, needed it to be too professional. And So I, I think it was a great, a great process for someone who just wants to just sort of let loose and just sit down and, and get and just put a story out you know because there's nothing like that you know watching that you know clock clip you know take by that makes you sit down and just do it get something out yeah, <laughs> do it. put down the guitar hero yeah exactly so I, I i think it was great for that process and for sort of spurring on the, the creativity and, and the, giving me i don't know allowing me to just sort of run free with it um i don't yeah so I guess that's my answer. <laughs> now, the originally, I don't know if it still is, a lot was posted online for folks to look at. Did you have an intention of getting it published as a book? Around, and oh, first of all, it's still on there. People can still oh, okay. read it for free if they want to. Um, but they about, should really buy it. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should definitely buy it. Uh, I think after Chapter 7, um, or, I decided, well, with the encouragement of a lot of people, um, I decided to send it. To top shelf, and so I, I sent it. I sent like half the book. I sent it halfway, and said, "Hey, can you guys? You know, what do you think of this? Can you take a look at it?" I mean, it was a, a pipe dream that you know anybody would publish it, let alone top shelf. Um, and Chris Chris Charles got it, and he um, he passed on it. But he actually it was a great of him. He called me up, and we talked about the book for a while, and he told me what he liked, and you know what what was working and what wasn't working for him, and um, sort of pointed me down. Uh, a path for the rest of the book, um, you know, as far as pointing out that things, you know, things obviously need to be tightened up a little bit, and, and some of these strings need to be tied up. And so I, I told him at the end of the conversation, like, I hope you don't mind if I send you the book again when it's when it's finished. And he's like, No, no, that's cool. So that's what I did uh, at the end of it, packaged it all up and sent it again. And uh, to, to my surprise, they're like, Yeah, let's publish this. That's nice. They they haven't been publishing as much as they used to lately, so I think it's good to get in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was thinking the other day, I felt like winning the lottery or something, <laughs> you know, getting that phone call. That comic book lottery. Exactly. So, editorial direction, do you feel that it could be advantageous for folks, for cartoonists kind of working out through stories? Uh, what do you mean? It, just that kind of editorial support of someone kind of going through the story with you and kind of pointing out and critiquing and things oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, the... It's. I think you need you need two things. One, you need support of people who are just fans, who are just, um, you know, really. I don't know who are behind you, hundred um, percent. Who you can always you know show the work to, and they'll give you encouragement. But then again, on the other hand, you need. I think you need people who are going to gently guide you in the right direction, or or just point out what's working and what's not. Because when your nose is so close to the page, and you're so involved with the story, I think it can be hard to, uh, you know, to to see what you're doing wrong or what's not making sense. Because um, I know, like, 
you know, in your head, you've got this entire world that you've created and all these characters with all these details, but only so much, you know, gets mm-hmm. put down on the page. And how much of that makes sense together without the other information that's in your head? Exactly, exactly, yeah. So you need somebody with a fresh eye to just kind of read it, um, just read it from scratch, I guess, and and uh, help you out there. So it was it was cool to get it get that feedback sort of in the middle of the book, too, because, you know, neither Chris nor I really knew where the story was going. I mean, I had a, I had a rough sense of where it was going, but it was fun to, I don't know, for, to hear his thoughts on, on, you know, what should be tied up and all that. So what's the approach for your next big project? Um, I'm working on another Army Shanks book right now, and I'm doing a completely different process where I'm writing, just writing the whole script out, um, which has been a really tough process. I've probably been working on it for a year and a half. And uh, I'm still not finished. I mean, part of that is because I've just, you know, Xander and I have been really busy at work, which is great. And so it's hard to, like, when I write, I really need to focus. I really need a big block of time, you know, a weekend or even a long evening just to... Seclude yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I I can't do it by just finding, you know, an hour here and an hour there. I saw a talk recently where Seth was talking about his uh, actual writing process where he goes and he gets a hotel room and locks him in the hotel room with a bag of Lay's potato chips and uh, oh writes for the weekend. That's, I mean... There's something like weird about the visual of Seth with a bag of Lay's <laughs> potato chips, but... Well, it's a very, it's a very specific detail to add. <laughs> That's a great idea, though. I mean, I, I would love to do that. My, uh, my English teacher in high school said that... Um, you know, obviously he gets, like, winter breaks off, and he'll go up to the north, uh, sort of the, the woods up in the north of Minnesota, to a cabin, and just and just do the same thing. Just, you know, light a fire and just write for a week straight. I think Neil Gaiman does something like that, too, where he just disappears for a while when he needs to do a chunk of writing. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. It's like, you need to, you need to disappear, and I... I could either go away or go either way. It's like I either want to go in the woods where there's absolutely no noise or I'd want to get, a, you know, like a hotel room overlooking a busy street where there's just sort of this constant, you know, din of traffic. And stuff White like noise. That. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do another song break. Okay. And then when we get back, we can talk a bit about your other projects that you have going on and uh, some of the mini comics. There's uh, one that I especially like to talk about. So we'll be right back. Ink Studs. CITR 101.9 FM. Like me, I'm gonna get to somewhere it's not. 
Inkstead, CITR 101.9 FM. I am talking to Minneapolis's own Kevin Cannon. How is hey. Minneapolis, Kevin? It's great, except it just got cold, like just today. We just had so, that yesterday here in Vancouver. Did you? But probably not as cold. What's cold in Vancouver? Um, two degrees Celsius. Okay. I don't know what that is, Fahrenheit. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'll, I'll pretend I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, just above the freezing temperature. Yeah, we're just below right now and got a nice little dusting of snow this morning. So that was Aww. pretty, but made traffic unbearable. And it's probably going to be a lot worse for the next three months. Two months? Three months? Three, three. Here, here, probably six or seven months. Jesus. Yeah. No fun. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a West Coast boy. I like a good medium. Not too hot, not too cold. Just right. Yeah. Maybe I'm Goldilocks. <laughs> That's what we'll go by. Tell me about Minneapolis. I've been noticing more and more there are tons and tons of cartoonists there. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like I mean, it's, a, it's like Portland without the weather. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, it's it's great, and there's so many different facets to the scene. Like you've got your 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 total pros, like um, Peter Gross, who works on or worked on Lucifer and works for Vertigo, and then you've got. Um, you know, you, there's a huge uh, independent scene here, um, and a lot of us will meet monthly for a thing called Cartoonist Conspiracy, where we... I don't know if you guys have this in Vancouver, but we'll get together at a coffee shop and just draw jam comics. We have the we have a monthly comic jam here in Vancouver. Okay, there you go, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Put yeah, on yeah. by uh, Ed Burson from New Reliable Press. Cool, okay. <laughs> um, what do you guys do with your stuff when you're done with it? Do you put it online? Or? They just post it online, yeah. Nothing fancy. They're usually pretty crude. So. <laughs> in fact last time i uh, showed up late and drew a couple of panels and i don't draw and uh, i think it upset the runner uh about how crude they were so <laughs> i'm sorry ed i just yeah. can't help it i was coming after work um is it-, yeah, it it's a great scene and we i guess the other the other part is we always um we, we're always organizing gallery you know gallery shows uh with um, this gallery called Altered Aesthetics. They're really friendly. And what we, like, we've done many comic shows where people will um, print out 150 copies of their many comics and then we'll collect them in a silkscreen box and sell those. And then we'll have the original art on the wall. And that's always a lot of fun. That's called Ludafis Sushi. Um, and we just recently, we tried something new. We printed a huge 48 page old, you know, old school newspaper. Yeah, the biggest the biggest newspaper we could get um, called Big Funny, <laughs> and that was an amazing process because people were just people had never drawn that big before. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was it was really cool, and it's all you know it's all local. How much Actually, that? How much that cost? To producer to uh, the Both. whole the whole show was like you know eight thousand uh, dollars, and that's I mean that's including all the gallery fees and stuff like that. I think the, we found a printer to do it for maybe two or three thousand. How many copies? But, uh, we made two thousand copies. We still got about half of those left. <laughs> I'll I'll order one off. Yeah, that that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. Who are some of the of folks it. that were involved with that newspaper? Um, well, you've got uh, like Steve Stwally, the guy who dared me to uh, to do far and was in there, and um, Xander Cannon uh, was obviously involved. He did the awesome like the logo on the front of the the comic. Um, there's a guy from I think he's from California named Hot Crawl. I don't know if you've ever heard I, of him. The name's very familiar. Yeah, he's got a great, a great sort of 
Julie Doucet kind of style, very gritty and very, very cool. So he, he did one, and uh, I'm blanking on everybody else. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's obviously 48 pages, you know, 48 artists, so a lot of, a lot of great stuff in there. Well, that's where can people order it? Uh, I think www.cartoonistconspiracy.com slash bigfunny. Okay, we'll post a link on the uh, on the Inkstead site, inkstuds.com. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Now, Xander is a pretty big collaborator for you, eh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I spend uh, eight hours a day with him. How did that collaboration start out other than the, hey, we have the same last name? Because, well, I mean, that, that doesn't really sort of start a partnership. Well, uh, I think when I was a junior in college, I wrote him an email. He was... Um, He's not from Minneapolis, but he was working and living in Minneapolis at the time. And I said, you know, hey, I'm looking for something to do this summer. Can I be your intern? And I, I didn't know anything about the comics industry, so I didn't know if cartoonists even had interns or, <laughs> you know, if that was even a real thing or if I was just making that up. But I was like, I just want to learn, you know, I want to learn what you do. I want to learn sort of the, the ins and outs of cartooning. Uh, I'll, I'll just sit and make coffee, you know, if, if that's all I can do. But... Fortunately, he said he said yes, uh, and it was right at the time that he was starting Smacks. Like he was just getting the first scripts um, from Alan Moore, right when I started, and so that was that was awesome. And I mean, God, what a summer! Like I first day or within the first days, I was talking to Alan Moore on the phone, like about you know about working on the backgrounds and stuff, and it was just it was crazy. Hello, Gavin. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard. Like I, I I could only understand about half of what he said, and. I, so I was like, yes, sir, yes, sir. I love drawing elves. <laughs> There's a certain level of obedience in there. You just well, can't I say mean, no to Alan Moore, I guess. No, absolutely not. So, yeah, so anyway, so that that was sort of the summer that, you know, that we sort of bonded and, and started working together. Um, and then he went to Japan for a couple years uh, during the Smacks process, and when he came back... He and I and a guy named Shad Potosky, um, who's also from Minneapolis, we started the company Big Time Attic, which was sort of a, it's a hard to describe, but, you know, it's a comics comics company, but um, we also ended up doing a lot of animation and uh, some website design and things like that. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years. Shad and the animation crew split off. We had actually, like, 12 employees at one point you know, mostly working on animation stuff. Um, they split off and became their own company called Puny Entertainment. And they're huge now. They're, like, doing all the animation for Yo Gabba Gabba. I don't know if you've heard of that mm -hmm. show, but it's like a Nick, Nickelodeon show. Evan Dorkin goes on about it. Oh, does he? Okay, cool. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so now Big Time Attic is just me and Xander, and we have basically narrowed our focus to uh, educational and nonfiction comics. Um, along with you know other side jobs along the way, but that's that's sort of our, our main focus. Now you get, did a book with Mark Schultz that he wrote. Yeah, uh, it's called Stuff of Life. Um, uh, came out I think in January, and it's basically a textbook, a graphic novel textbook on genetics. I actually yeah, have it here. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's really neat. It's really playful. Um, do you, I find the style looks a lot more like Xander's? work than your own of the stuff i'm familiar with um does he kind of set the direction or no i think what it is well every project we we split up you know we divvy up what we're going to do on it um and that changes with each project but we keep it consistent throughout throughout the book 
Um, so in that particular book, he did a lot of he did all the alien characters and he did all the people, um, and I did a lot of the science, like sort of the DNA type pictures that you uh. see the close up science stuff. Um, and that is a yeah, it's a different style than Far Arden because with Far Arden I was using a lot of I was using pen primarily, and so there's a ton of cross hatching. Um, but in the business, uh, I do I use um, brush pens, and so it's sort of a, a cleaner line, and it's more of a more of a black and white style, I guess. Not so much. Uh, there's not not any cross action at all, really. Now, what was the choice? Like, why do is it paycheck or is there an interest in doing like these sciencey comics? Um, no, no, trust <laughs> me. There's no fat paycheck at the end of the day. It's. Uh, um, I think we sort of we sort of got into it naturally, organically. Like when we started Big Time Attic, Jim Ottaviani had the script for Bone Sharps, Cowboys, and Thunder Lizards um, ready and was looking for an artist. And he knew Xander from a while back. And so that's how we got that job. And that that sort of put us on the map as guys who illustrate nonfiction graphic novels because there's not, not a ton of those kind of guys out there. Um, and so after that, you know, that book, that book got us Stuff of Life, and Stuff of Life got us T-minus. And it's just sort of spread from there. We just kind of made a name for ourselves. And fortunately, I mean, Xander and I both both love, you know, reading about history and science. And so this really, you know, this is right up our alley. It really uh, clues in each other well. Absolutely. Now, I, 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 I really like the stuff of life with the uh, the weird um, slug aliens. Yeah, that was uh, a fun sort of narrative narrative device. It's, you know, these alien creatures, you know, viewing Earth. And so we get a very, uh, I don't know, a very fourth wall sort of, you know, third party look at, uh, at how we evolved and, you know, what we're made of, basically. How uh, do you get, do you do much research into the science itself or do you kind of rely on the writers? Well, Mark, Mark did most of it. Mark did the burn of the work. Um, and so he sent us a script and with, you know, obviously it's finished scripts, so all the science is there. And then he had uh, descriptions for each panel on what to draw. But obviously with a thing like DNA, DNA doesn't really look like anything. You know, you can represent it in a hundred different ways. Um, you can represent it on sort of an atomic level. You can represent it as a cartoon just showing the double helix, um, you know, with or without a smiley face. <laughs> so, so part of what we did here is, I mean, we're just loaded up with, you know, biology textbooks and genetics books. And um, so we just looked through and... And research like how I don't know how how things look and you know how how they best fit. I mean, genetics is so you know the just something like how DNA reconstructs itself is is so complicated that we really had to study that for a while to see like what what information does the, does this particular reader need to see and how can we how can we boil it down and, and make it cartoony and fun and accessible. Um, you know, without overloading the reader. Have you guys gotten any feedback of people using the books in any kind of context? Oh, yeah, it's been just a great response on that book. And we have we keep hearing, you know, every once in a while from teachers who are, um, you know, using it in both uh, high school and college settings. And so we're excited about that. And we're actually, uh, because of the success of Stuff of Life, we're working on a sequel to that with the same alien characters. Um, and this new book will be all about evolution and uh should be very exciting. We're just just starting the inks on that one right now. Why is it that when I hear Americans talking about evolution, I get scared? 
<laughs> I know, I know. It's like, are you okay? Is it going to be okay? Are you going to be able to do it? Well, it's interesting. The book uh, doesn't, it doesn't like teach the controversy at all. It basically just teaches the science of it. Good. Um, and, but, you know, obviously there still be, there will still be some controversy when it comes out, I'm, I'm sure. It makes me sad. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's science, folks. It's just science. It's not mean. It's not going to beat you up. It's just science. Now, on your website, you've got some comics, and I want to. One that really, I really enjoyed was uh, Our Endangered Cartoonist. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, that was actually one of my more favorites. Tell me about that one, and like, kind of, because there's a bit of a backstory to it. Kind of, kind of in the sense that, um, that was a short story that involves these characters that I've had in my head for a long time, but it had never really sat down and drawn. Um, there's Donnie Danger, who's sort of a, a corporate cartoonist. Uh, I don't know, he reminds me of sort of sort of a Steve Zizou character, maybe. Um, <laughs> sort of the, the once great, you know, guy who's now looking back on his life. And he's surrounded by um, very eager uh, San Diego uh, yeah, interns. And... That story actually came about, this is going to turn into a long story, but uh, part of Big Time Attic was, at the very beginning, was we took on, you know, we took on any job that we could, um, you mm-hmm. know, to pay the bills, like, like any good company. And one of the really fun projects that we did that really wasn't cartoon-based was we designed a family fun center in Wisconsin. I mean, this, it's a huge thing with the racetrack and, you know, our huge arcade and pizza shop and all that stuff. And so Xander and Chad and I, you know, spend months even living on site. Um, you know, watch. You know, designing this thing and make and watching it uh, build up. And by the end of it, I was so burned out, not just from doing that, but you know, I hadn't drawn a cartoon for felt like weeks. And so to sort of get myself back on an even keel after the after this huge project was done, uh, I just sat down and, and wrote and drew that story. Just to I don't know, it's sort of a palate cleanser, I guess, just to kind of bring me back to reality. Well, it's a very, I don't know, it, it's uh, its just good. It's really good. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I, yeah, I don't hear a lot about that, that one, so I'm glad to hear that. It's, uh, it's tight, and it just, um, it, it didn't feel forced in any way, and it had a lot of uh, resonance, I guess. Cool. Thanks. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just remembering the actual story now. Uh, my brother and I were involved in a car accident, like, years ago, and so I think part of that cathartic process was, like, writing about that you know, about being in the hospital um, and sort of getting that down on paper. So I guess that's another part of it. Kind of working through uh, post-trauma? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It's going to be a pretty impacting experience, I can imagine. Absolutely. So, well, I highly recommend people check it out. Your sites are uh, kevincannon.com. It's .org. .org. .com was taken. Ah, damn you, Kevin Cannon. The other... And uh, Big Time Attic, is that .com? That is .com. That yep. is .com. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Kevin. Oh, thanks so much. I had a great and time. And the book is for folks to check out. Far Arden uh, from the fine folks at Top Shelf Books, yeah, as well as a whole slew of sciencey stuff, including uh, T-minus, The Stuff of Life, and uh, was it Bone Shards? And, yeah, Bone Shards, Bone Shard. Cowboys, and Thunder Lizards. There we go. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Talk to you later. You too. Bye-bye. And uh, up next, we will have uh, 
Japanese musicist, and after that will be uh, the French Connection. And uh, actually, listen, folks, I don't know who's going to be on next week, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a, a fun show. I got some some stuff I'm working up, so I think you'll uh, you'll all enjoy it. Remains of what was thought, what unsaid All the calcified arithmetists were doing the math And it would take a calculated blow to the head To light the eyes of all the homeless sociopaths Oh, woman, on, we are the homeless sociopaths Oh, woman, on, with all the homeless sociopaths Calcium mines are buried deep in your chest So calcium mines are buried deep in your chest Pass the atmosphere Squint your eyes and no one dies or goes to jail Pass the silver bridge Oh, the silver bridge Where nothing but a onesie and a veil Get out of here, pass the atmosphere, squint your eyes and no one dies and goes to jail. Pass the silver bridge, oh the silver.